Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I preached the following message on August 20th, 2017 at Hampton United Methodist Church. This is the last sermon in my sermon series on 1 Peter, and it's mostly about the devil. It's about Satan and how he works in our lives, according to uh, Peter in today's scripture. I begin by making the case that Satan is real. And then I spend time talking about how Satan gets a foothold in our lives through the sins of pride and anxiety. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to read the scripture now, which is 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 11. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I have a friend from college. I'll call him Steve. Steve is a committed Christian and a Methodist to boot. And many years ago, Steve had a friend who persuaded him to join a very secretive fraternal organization. I'm not talking about the Masons. (laughs) In what follows, I'm not talking about the Masons. My father was a Mason. He was a Shriner as well. If you remember your happy days, he was the Grand Poobah, (laughs) the potentate of the Shrine Club in North Georgia. So I'm not referring to the Masons. Uh, Not all fraternal organizations are the same. As my friend Steve realized, they are not all benign. So he joined this secret organization. He learned their rituals. And one day he was at home practicing the rituals that they taught him to practice in the privacy of his home. And then Steve saw an apparition, which he told me one day, years after the fact, he believes strongly was a demon. And it was out to get him. And he ran and he prayed. And get this, he talked to the friend who talked him into joining this organization to begin with. And his friend said, oh yeah, that happens sometimes. But it's nothing to worry about. It's just some psychological phenomenon. Don't worry about it. And Steve was like, don't worry about it. What are you talking about? And of course, he did the right thing. And he quit the organization immediately. And he stopped practicing what were obviously occult rituals. Steve is a scientifically minded person. He was an engineer from Georgia Tech, like me. He was very rational. 
And yet he believed he had this experience with the supernatural. He's not a crackpot. And neither is another friend of mine who happens to be a Georgia Tech engineer, also a United Methodist pastor like me. And when he was in seminary, he and some of his classmates would go to a nearby large city where they did street ministry. And he and his friends would literally go into crack houses and minister to and share the gospel with junkies and prostitutes. Sounds like scary stuff to me. And he told me that he experienced things. He saw things with his own eyes that he can only attribute to supernatural forces, literally evil spiritual forces, demons. He is not a crackpot. And neither is Dr. Roger Olson, who is a theology professor at Baylor University. Dr. Olson periodically teaches classes on the occult to his seminary classmates. And as part of the research for these classes, he goes to occult bookstores, which unfortunately are very plentiful. And he heard about this one bookstore that was popular among Wiccans or witches and Satanists. And here's what he described. I I drove up to the bookstore, parked across the street, and attempted to get out of my car. I found myself literally unable to get out. I sat there for a very long time, trying to exit the car, but could not. It wasn't fear. I've been in many occult and esoteric bookshops and was not afraid of any mere bookstore. As I sat there, pinned inside my car by some mysterious force, I remembered praying for divine protection. Eventually, I pulled away and never did go inside that bookstore. And I've told you before about one of my personal heroes, N.T. Wright, a world-renowned New Testament scholar, one of the most brilliant men you'll ever hear if you see him on TV, which he's on TV occasionally. In one of his commentaries, he said that often when he sits down to write on the subject of Satan and spiritual warfare, unusual coincidences happen. Suddenly his computer stops working for no reason. His printer jams for no reason. Uh, um, uh, There'll be a work crew, a construction crew outside, and they'll accidentally cut a power line and he'll be unable to finish his work. N.T. Wright, who was a bishop in the Church of England before he retired, and a brilliant scholar, says that that is the work of the devil. And he is grateful that Satan has done nothing worse so far. These are intelligent Credible people. I share this with you because belief in Satan and demons in our world will often be met with skepticism, if not outright hostility and scorn. But I believe in Satan. I don't think I'm a crackpot. In the nine o'clock service, Matthew laughed, and this time my own wife laughed at that. Um, 
If we accept the, the authority of God's word, we don't have a choice but to believe. No one said more about Satan and demons than Jesus himself. And it's just like last week when I was talking about the second coming. Jesus talked about it more than anyone. So we don't get to say that we really love Jesus's teaching on topic A, topic B, topic C. But this other stuff we can just disregard. If our Lord taught and believed that Satan was real, and he did, then that gives us warrant to believe it as well. So brothers and sisters, I implore you to take seriously what Jesus and what God's word tells us about the devil. Satan is real. Demons are real, just like angels are real. They influence our world supernaturally. They can cause great harm in our world, and they can even cause harm in the lives of Christians, as the Apostle Peter makes clear in today's scripture. But they don't usually work in the way that I described at the beginning. Their their work is often much more subtle, seductive, almost imperceptible. And if we're not paying attention, if we're not doing what Peter says to do, which is to be watchful and to be sober minded, we won't even be aware of their work. How do these evil spiritual forces harm us Christians? That's mostly what today's text is about. Peter writes, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Peter knows something that the Apostle Paul also knows, that the main way that Satan works in a Christian's life is through their personal sins. So, for example, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to The devil. Literally, an opportunity means a foothold. Think of a great rock climber and how uh, he needs the, the, the tiniest ledge which might be imperceptible to, to our uh, layman's or layperson's eyes, but, but he needs the tiniest ledge, uh, uh, that, but that's large enough to support his weight. And the devil works kind of like that. Pastor Tim Keller says that sin in our lives is like a piano and the devil is the piano player. Apart from the sin, the devil wouldn't have anything to work with. But, but just a small sin is enough for Satan to cause great harm. Another way of thinking of this is that the devil has the power to take our so-called small sins and amplify them into something that can cause great harm. His work is subtle. And think about how this applies to Peter and to those Christians in Asia Minor to whom Peter is writing. These are Christians who are suffering daily, physically suffering, not to mention socially, 
Some of them are even facing death because of their allegiance to Christ. This is obviously the work of Satan. I mean, Satan's obviously working through uh, the Roman Empire and through local governments in the first century who are persecuting, uh, even killing Christians. Of course, that's Satan's work. And yet, Peter wants us to know that the most harmful way that the devil is at work is through these seemingly small sins of pride and anxiety. You probably didn't know anxiety was a sin, but it is. Do you struggle with the sin of pride? I do. (laughs) I bet many of you do as well. Notice what Peter says in verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for, and here he quotes Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice that Peter makes a connection between humility and the reception of grace. It's like you can't have one without the other. You want grace? Be humble, Peter says. And we can think of pride as that resistance to God's grace. Pride prevents grace. Pride blocks grace. Think about how this is true. Every religion in the world except for Christianity says that if you want to be accepted by God or the gods, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to go to paradise, if you want to reach nirvana or whatever the ultimate reality is that that religion teaches, then you have to do certain things and you have to avoid doing other things. You have to perform these rituals. You have to practice these techniques. You have to overcome these sins in your life. And only after you do these things will your God or the gods accept you. By contrast, think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You you will only be saved by God's grace the moment you can say something like this. I'm a far worse sinner than I ever imagined. I am enslaved by my sins. I am helpless over my sins and I need a savior. The good news is that God has given us one in his son, Jesus. Jesus lived the life of of perfect obedience that I was unable to live, that obedience to the father that I was unable to offer. And he died the death that I deserve to die. And on the cross, he suffered the hell that I deserved to suffer so that I could be saved, not by my own righteousness, but but by Christ's righteousness alone. Now, many people, when they hear this gospel message, they will object. Their pride swells up and they say, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Okay, sure. I've got, you know, a few sins I'm dealing with, but that's it's no big deal. I'm not nearly as bad as this gospel says I am. And then other people might hear the gospel and they say, no, I, I, I agree. I am a, I'm a terrible sinner. So I just have to work harder, believe harder, do these things, and, 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 and then I won't struggle with sin anymore. Then I'll be okay. Then I'll be acceptable to God. That's also pride. And you might say, okay, Pastor Brent, but I'm already a Christian. 
I've already made that profession of faith. I've already given my life to Christ. I've been baptized. I've, I follow Jesus. But guess what? Pride, unfortunately, still has this way of creeping into our lives. Earlier in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 9, Peter talks about another small, seemingly small sin that we don't talk about very much. Grumbling. Did you know that grumbling is a sin? Does any, do, do we ever grumble in church? Do you ever hear grumbling? No. Hugh says no. No. Of course we do. Um, what causes us to grumble? Um, when we feel like we're not getting what we deserve? When we feel like our efforts are not being properly recognized or rewarded when we feel like we're working harder than everyone else and, and no one even no one's even noticing when we feel like we're being treated unfairly when we compare ourselves to others and we feel resentment why do we do this it's pride however much we believe that Jesus needs to save us for eternity there is at least a small part of us that needs to be saved right now by other people and other things, often the, other, the opinions of, of other people. If other people can't recognize and appreciate how wonderful I am, what good am I? Why am I working so hard? I need other people to appreciate me, recognize me, love me. That's how I know I'm a valuable person. Person, That's pride. And Satan can take this pride and use it as a foothold and just make our lives miserable. Just last Wednesday night at Bible study. And if you've never been to Bible study, uh, you're missing. So I think I think it's a great uh, thing. We're having a lot of fun. It's a good group and they ask good questions. And, and last Wednesday, we had um, a discussion about the doctrine of. Of God's foreknowledge. Now, remember, God transcends time. God is outside of time. So there's a sense in classic Christian uh, theology in which God can see all of history from beginning to end. God is not waiting around to see how things turn out, in other words. Um, And somebody raised a good question. She said, okay, we're supposed to be praying for the lost, for example, for those who don't know Christ, praying that they'll repent of their sins and give their lives to Christ. Well, God already knows the outcome of those prayers. What if we pray our entire lives for someone's salvation and that person dies and they they never turn to Christ it seems like such a waste. Why, why would God want us to just spend our lives doing that? It's a good question, right? And the reason we struggle with this question, I think, is because of pride. Because we can't or we have a hard time imagining that we should do something purely, purely for God and his glory. Purely because it's God's will for us. Purely because doing so pleases God. 
yes, God, I want to glorify you and please you, but but can't you just throw me a bone while I'm at it? You know, just give me a little something for my my ego. Give me a little something for myself. That's pride. I mean, God's word commands us to pray continually and leave the results up to God. To do so brings glory to God. Why isn't that enough for us? Should it be enough for us to do something simply because it pleases God? It pleases God when we pray for other people. Whether or not they repent and get saved is beside the point. Our only desire in life ought to be to glorify God and to, to, to please Him, to love Him. But pride gets in the way. Pride gets in my way. What's in it for me? I always, well, I don't say it out loud, but that thought is not far from my consciousness. I have learned and relearned, and I will relearn it again, this bitter lesson. That when I work for my own glory instead of God's glory... It's a recipe for misery because I never get enough of it. You know, if that's what I'm chasing after, I'll never get enough to satisfy my soul. It's like I have this infinite void. I just put I just put the glory in there. It just never seems to be enough. Maybe I'm not alone. We need to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to the sin of pride in our lives. When we find ourselves getting our feelings hurt, grumbling, feeling resentment, feeling as if we've been treated unfairly. We ought to tell ourselves something like this. Through Christ, I'm fully accepted by God. He loves me more than I can imagine. I have everything I need in him. Everything that can satisfy my soul is found in him. Yes, this person has treated me unfairly. Yes, they've hurt me. Yes, they've sinned against me. But who do I think I am? I've hurt plenty of people. (laughs) I've sinned against plenty of people. Besides, I think of how patient and gracious and forgiving my Lord is toward me. Jesus has got to put up with a lot just to have me in a relationship with him. Thank God that he does. So Satan can get a foothold in our lives through the sin of pride. But there's another foothold of the devil that Peter mentions here, which is related to pride. And that is anxiety. Anxiety, it's almost like a symptom of pride. Why do I say that? Because when we are anxious, it's because we believe that we are in a position to second guess the ruler of the universe. Yes, it's true that that God has put me in this place, in this position, and in this particular circumstance to glorify him and not myself. And I know that his word tells me that God is in all things working for the good, including my own good. And God is working all things out for good. So I should trust him that he's going to bring good out of this. But I'm not convinced. I know better. (laughs) I know what's good for me. I I, I know what I need. Not the one who actually created me. Not the one who knows me better than I know myself. 
Not the one who knows everything that's going to happen in the world at every moment. I know more than him. (laughs) If that's not pride, I don't know what is. But when we find that things are not working out the way we think they should, we feel anxious and we worry. What's the solution? Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and cast your anxieties on him. Notice Peter doesn't say, ignore your anxieties and hope they go away. No, cast each one of them on the Lord. Name them. When you go to God in prayer every day, I hope, name each thing that's happening in your life that's making you feel anxious. Name them. Cast them on the Lord. He can take it. Tell God exactly what it is that you're worried about. Pastor John Piper puts it like this. When 1 Peter 5, 7 says that God cares, it means he will not stand by and let things develop without his influence. It means he will act. He will work, not always the way we would. He's God. I love this. He sees a thousand connections we don't see. Here's an example. The lost credit card might result in an evening of searching and take you away from a TV program that unbeknownst to you would have put a lustful desire in your mind and made prayer unappealing so that you failed to seek God's power and missed a golden opportunity to speak of Christ to a ready colleague the next day, which because of that lost credit card, you did not miss. God sees a thousand connections that we do not see. And brothers and sisters, that is a God in whom we can trust. Amen. Almighty God, let us trust in you. Let us trust that you, the ruler of the universe, actually does know what's best for us. And there's no need for us to second guess, rather to ask ourselves and even to ask you in prayer. I wonder what you're doing right now in this difficult situation. I don't know what it is. I can't quite imagine, but I know you can. And I know that whatever it is, it's for either my good or the good of the world or both. And help us also to be humble enough to live only for your glory and not our own and make us watchful and sober minded so that we can see our adversary as he tries to take what we often think of as small sins and amplify them and use them to cause harm. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on a Sunday morning, I hope you'll consider joining us for worship. We have two worship services. We have a 9 o'clock acoustic contemporary and an 11 o'clock traditional service. Hope to see you there.